today. Um, so Exodus chapter 8. What an interesting week we have experienced. Uh, has anybody this week kind of had that, like, this can't be happening feeling more than once? Like, are you kidding me? You know, I, I think when I heard that, the, you know, the NBA was shutting down, I was kind of like, that's a joke, right? Like, there's no way that that's what just happened. And uh, some other thing, you know, the NCAA tournament being canceled and things that just feel like in our culture of worship of sports and celebrity and even betting and things like that, it just seemed, wow, that was, that was quite, quite fast. Uh, it can kind of make your, your head spin. And, and we said at the beginning, you know, a week ago, we're, we're at a bowling alley. We're not thinking this is what's, you know, what the week is ahead of us. Uh, we're having a great time hanging out and bowling and touching balls that lots of other people have already bowled down the alley before. And, you know, nobody had their like Purell on the ball or anything like that. And uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to keep up sometimes with the way that life goes. And, and as I thought about that, as, as the week went on, and, and I tried to do my best to stay tuned into what was being said and what was happening, to try to make decisions for us as a church that, that made sense, that were not you know on one side or the other, but just trying to follow the Lord and, and process all that stuff, it, it just kept coming back to the stuff we're going to talk about today and the things that we have been talking about in the story of the plagues on Egypt. Because I really feel like the lessons of that are very on point for the week that we just experienced and for the coming weeks ahead. Many elements that, that the Egyptians and the Israelites and Moses and Pharaoh were experiencing are things that are happening right in front of us. I am sure that as the, the, the waters of the Nile turned to blood, that there was panic and fear in Egypt. And you can kind of understand that. You can almost like get it in a different way after the week that we just had, right? I'm sure that as frogs began to invade people's homes and and lives, there was panic and and irritation and overwhelming and people got short with each other and people wondered, how long is this going to last and what's this all going to mean for our livelihoods and our crops and our, you know what I mean? I think we can understand a little better uh, their story because of the things that we are experiencing and living through right now. As people of God, we are often asked, and we often ask, what's God doing in this? Where is God in this? You know, we, we talk about a God who is faithful, a God who will never let us down. And so we think we know what that means. And so where is God in this? And why doesn't he just wipe pandemics off the earth? And, you know, I've heard people talking about how God is mad at America or mad at the world. And God is going to keep Christians safe because, you know, he promises to watch over us and keep us. And, you know, is that, what, how do we process all of that stuff? How do we get to the place where we can, people ask us questions, we can give an answer that we are sure of, secure in? I don't know how to get answers to all of that. I don't know that we can completely explain God to ourselves or to others. And if you're trying to, you're probably pretty worn out and frustrated by trying to, right? But I would say, I still see the hand of God even in this. I think sometimes God uses moments like this to ask us to find more ways to show connection with one another, to show affection. So I can't give everybody a hug. I'm not, I'm not super worried about giving people a hug right now, but you know, some people are concerned about it. And so, so maybe that's not something we can do. Is that the only thing we got? Are there other ways? Like maybe what it does is it challenges us to be 
thoughtful and intention about reflecting the connection and the affection that we have. Maybe there's ways that we can help one another in a more rubber-meets-the-road way. Maybe it brings to mind prayer for one another. But your, your worries and your concerns and the, the, whatever the next information is that comes your way, maybe it's God's invitation not to try to figure it all out, but to pray. And maybe our prayer life has gotten a little lazy because we think we have a lot of things to hear and keep up on and watch. But maybe all we do is we take that to the Lord in prayer. Maybe God uses us to draw us into his heart for those who are vulnerable. And, and this is ultimately Christian to surrender my rights for the sake of someone else. Nobody can tell me what to do. Maybe what Jesus did was surrender his right in Philippians 2. Thought it not, you know, something to be held on to, to maintain his status as the ruler of heaven and humbled himself and became a man for us. So maybe moments like this draw us into God's heart for the vulnerable. And there are many things in the story that we can learn, many lessons that are good for today. Not all of them are going to be our focus for today. I think you can learn as you read through the the plagues. Listen, don't fight against God. I don't know if this is you, but if this is you and you're in a battle with God, let me fast forward to the end for you. You lose. It does not go well for you, right? However long you're going to wrestle with God, it doesn't matter in the end it's not going to be you that comes out on top. We can learn from the the stories of the plagues in Exodus that God sees suffering. The Israelites are suffering as slaves and their suffering matters to him. Our suffering matters to God. We can learn that we ought not, as people of God, to be or to be flippant about being careless or abusive towards other people. Egypt and Pharaoh are very abusive towards Israel. They see them as non-entities. They see them because they are sheep herders and and dirty people. They see them as people not worth their time. They don't want to associate with them. They actually gave them their own place to live because they didn't want anything to do with them. From the, the plagues, we can learn that God is a God who does miracles, that nothing is impossible with God. And we are grateful for that truth and that reality, both in Exodus and in our lives, that God is a God of miracles. And we can learn that God is a God of freedom. That God is a God that when you come to him with your bondage, with your, your, your entanglements, that God sets people free. We can learn a lot of things from the plagues and the story here of the Exodus. But I want to look at some specific things from these two plagues. We're going to look at two plagues today. Um, and I want to get some specific truths that, that are, I think, for our lives as we navigate everything that's happening. And I want to kind of take these two plagues and pull out lessons that God had for Egypt and Israel, for Moses, for Pharaoh, but I believe they are lessons for us today as well. So let's look at the third plague. It's in Exodus chapter 8. Start with me at verse 16. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he would not listen 
just as the Lord had said. All right, so this plague about gnats, uh, there are some differences here. Uh, we don't know exactly what the gnats were. So, you know, something, some kind of biting, flying, small insect. What we think of as gnats, they could be biting flies or mosquitoes. Uh, there's some reason to even think maybe they were lice. So whatever it is, not good. You know what I mean? This is, this is not pleasant. This is not fun. But there's something different about this plague from some of the other ones. I don't know if you noticed it, if you, if you kind of like, as we read the beginning of that, if you were looking for something that is normally there that isn't there. But in every other plague, what's the first step of the plague? Moses and Aaron take a trip. They go to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And if you don't let my people go, here's some things coming. But that's not how this one goes down. This one goes down without any warning. And so God chooses to act without giving any warning, without confronting Pharaoh, without giving him a chance to turn around. And as we start there, I think of this. I think this is very applicable to our lives overall, and certainly we become more aware of it in moments like this. So many times we make the mistake of thinking we always have another chance, right? I really feel like we have become experts at taking things for granted. Maybe it's the pace of life at which we live. Maybe it's that we, we are overloaded with trying to figure everything out. But we always imagine that our lives are stable and sure. But the reality is we don't always get another chance. You may not have another chance to respond to the Spirit of God. You may not have another chance to enjoy some of the blessings that are yours from the hand of God today. We live presumptively far too often. I'm not saying this so you panic, so you worry, so you're anxious. Oh no, what's God going to take away from me? I'm saying we should be grateful people. We should be intentional people. God has given Pharaoh several opportunities to say yes, and Pharaoh has said no each time. This time... God did not give him that opportunity again. He just, so now, because of your rebellion, because of where you are, here you go. This is what I pour out because of the posture of your heart. People of God, I feel like in humility, we need to recognize that the opportunities I have today are not guaranteed for tomorrow. And I feel like that's something that becomes front and center. I'm used to going to a grocery store and being able to buy things that I want right? Who would have thought that, that people would be so affected? Now, this shouldn't be us. I'm going to say this pastorally. You should not be somebody piling up bunches and bunches of stuff. This is not, this is not how we act in faith, okay? And, and if you lose out because everybody else does, guess what? Your security was never in what they chose to do anyway, Right? So we need to kind of get our heads on straight. And I know people are like, yeah, amen, and then they go do it anyway, you know. (laughs) These gnats, when they showed up, came from nowhere. They came out of nowhere. Literally, Aaron stretches his hand over the dust, and the land becomes gnats, right? It shows us, here's the kind of the theme of these plagues is you have no idea what's coming. 
It wasn't like Pharaoh and his officials could get together and say, now what do you think he's going to do next? Well, listen, let's have an anti-gnat patrol. You know, like they couldn't even imagine what was coming next. And I feel like our, uh, the news cycle that we have, not just from the virus, but from, from wildfires in Australia and earthquakes around the world and storms that like, they, you cannot get ready for all the things that could possibly happen. And yet some of us spend a lot of times trying to figure out what would I do if, what will it be like if, What should I think and how should I be ready for this and this and this? Can I make a crazy suggestion? Maybe we should just stop thinking that we can get ready for everything that's coming. Maybe we should give up trying to chase security in my preparations, in my plans. Maybe we should acknowledge that we cannot see what's coming. I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and, and, and be unwise. Don't, don't respond to, to foreseeable problems. I'm not saying don't prepare. I'm saying there's something, there's a tipping point. When I go from, oh, that's the reality. Of, like, like, for example, your, your car gas gauge is going down towards the bottom. Now, now, some of you people, you never look at the gas gauge right? It's just in its bottom and it's always a big surprise to you, right? Like, oh, my car used gas. How did that happen, right? But I'm not saying that we should be people who aren't looking at the gas gauge as it goes down and when the warning light comes on, ignore the warning. Well, I'm trusting in God. No, you should go get gas. (laughs) Are you going to be on the side of the road, right? So there are natural precautions to take. But for some of us, it tips from like, oh, that's a foreseeable thing. I should take to this, I've turned my radar onto max. And I'm trying to imagine and figure out and look behind every rock and in every shadow of what's coming, what might possibly come. And how am I going to feel? And what am I going to do? And I go through all the feelings of it. Listen, people of God, there is a better way. Because we actually know someone who knows what's coming. We actually know someone with the power to do something about it. He is big enough to give us direction, to give us protection when whatever's coming, comes. And so what I'm saying to you, people of God today, is this. Our time and our energy would be infinitely better spent seeking Him than trying to use up our brain on what might be coming that's dangerous. But I worry that we have trained ourselves to run so fast all of the time and keep up with what's on my schedule, what's on my to-do list, that what, what is necessary for spiritual well-being has been slipping away from us, but we didn't even notice it. So when I say we should be seeking him, what I'm saying is when you get to these places and they rock you, what it tells you is, that stuff that was really necessary spiritually slipped away and I didn't even see it. So this is a time to recognize I need to come back. Instead of letting uncertainty shake your world, let uncertainty remind you to draw close to the one who is your certainty. Let it be a reminder that all of these other things are not sure and not hope and not peace. You can't see what's coming. These gnats came out of the dust. There was no way to see it. The only people who were not rocked by the gnats were people who knew this was the hand of God 
and had already trusted and responded to him. And so these gnats come, they can't be duplicated. The magicians try. The other plagues they've been able to duplicate. This one they cannot duplicate. And there's lots of thought as to why that in. Well, it's, is it's, well that shows you that it was the demonic power that did it. Or, or that shows you that they, they knew how to manipulate large things, but not gnats, mosquitoes, whatever they were. But here's what I look at it. And I think this. They were powerless in the face of catastrophe, in the face of, of, of pestilence. They, there was nothing they could do. And how many times is that us? When life throws stuff at us, whether it's a personal thing and and you hear a doctor talk about a disease that's affecting you or or someone close to you, when you hear that your job is is, is now gone and you don't have an income, or when you hear that, uh, that your marriage is breaking up or your children won't talk, things that we don't have, and we can't do anything about it. We have no say over what we wish we had say over. These magicians tried to to exert power that they didn't have and they came up empty. So all they could say is, this is bigger than us. This is the finger of God. How many times did trials come and we haven't been able to do anything to change it? And we come face to face with the reality of our powerlessness that we don't get the say. And boy, doesn't that stink. So here's what, what what you're watching happen around you and what you're feeling pulling at your soul is we start to grasp for some sense of a say, some sense of control, some sense of do something because we hate the feeling that we are powerless against what is happening around us. So you see people rush out to a store and pile up eight cases of water and, you know, because they're trying to fix a hole in their soul that that doesn't fix. Because after you get done stockpiling all that, then you got to stockpile food. And after you get stockpiling that, then you got to chase down medicine. And then, you know, now it's like, oh no, who did I talk to? Who did I touch? And so there isn't security down there. And the reality is that that comes from how much we hate our own powerlessness. Christian, let your powerlessness be something that doesn't damage you or destroy your hope. Because it was never about your power. Instead, let the fact that you don't have the power to change things remind you of where power actually lies, where hope actually is. I'm saying, even if this is the worst case scenario and goes to to all kinds of pandemic and it touches your life and affects people around you, that is not the end of hope. This is a moment, and it's not a yay, rah. That, this is not our hope that everything is good and everything is fixed. Our hope is that we don't have the power, he does. And so our eyes are on him, not on what can we do. So Egypt is overrun by gnats. That's the third plague. The fourth plague is a little bit different and a little more disgusting. So <laughs> Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 down to verse 24, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. 
The houses of the Egyptian will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. So, that's appetizing, right? Let's go have breakfast. Um, This plague, just like the third one, deals with insects, specifically flies. So, the first couple plagues came from the water. These two plagues come from the land. It feels like trouble's coming from everywhere. Ever felt like that? Everywhere I turn, there's trouble. I think that's what was going on in Egypt right now. Egypt, it is coming from everywhere. What's the point? Well, the point from God to the Egyptians was, I'm in charge of it all, and you aren't. The point for the Egyptians was, they thought, well, this is a showdown between the God of Israel and the God of the Nile. This is a showdown between the God of, of Israel and the God of fertility. They didn't really have gods about insects, but you know, this, God is showing them this is not really even a battle. I am the one in charge. Your gods are powerless. I am the one in charge. And he does it not only by bringing flies into their land that there's nothing they can do about, but he does it by drawing a line. And this is the first time we see this line drawn. We don't know if this was before or not, but God specifically says it here. I am going to draw a line. And so these flies are going to come into every home and touch every person in Egypt, but not Israel. I am going to draw a line. We don't get to decide things that God decides. We don't get to decide who's affected and who's not. We aren't in charge of what's fair and what isn't fair. And so when trouble comes our way, we we come face to face with limitations. But see why God said he was going to do this? Did you pick up on what God said, why he was going to do this in verse 22? So that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land, so that you will know. I think the enemy would love for catastrophe, for trouble, for trials, to make us wonder if God is here. Wonder if God cares. Wonder if God is going to do anything, if, if it matters to God. But God says, I did this so that you will know I am here, so that you will know I am the Lord. Maybe the point of all this is for people to know that there is a God, that he is present. Maybe the point is for us to know that we're not him. That God is God and we are not. And many of the things where our security has been, when they begin to become shaky, they they shake us, it shows us that we have made something into a form of a God that isn't a God. Oh, not me, right? I don't do that. I mean, other people do that, right? Not me. Okay. Well, how about when the government looks like it's going crazy? Does that shake you at all? How about when the wrong person wins the election? Does that shake you at all? How about when the economy is taking a nosedive and there seems to be no bottom to it? Does that shake you? These things are poor gods. They are poor targets for your trust. They are unreliable for your life. 
Your plans are not a good God. Well, if everything just went according to my plan, I could be okay. That's a lousy God. Your job is not a God. And if you lose your job, you haven't lost your hope. You haven't lost your security. You haven't lost your provision. You've just lost one way that God was doing it in your life. The false gods that the Egyptians served are reflected so many times in the way that we today create other false gods. And we create those gods as places where we we can say, I'm okay because that's okay. I'm okay because that's there. And when trouble comes our way, it is God calling to us to say, there is one true and living God. And the things that you've been looking to, to be settled and secure, they're not it. And that hits our pride. And it should hit our pride. I hope that that you hear this because I really feel like this is one of the biggest things that moments like this should do to us. Pride influences almost everything that you do internally with how you look at people, right? You think you know how everybody should react, which is pretty much like however you think people should react, right? What's wrong with those people? Why are they doing that? Why are they not doing that? Where does that come from? Look at me. I'm so good. I'm so right. I think I'm better than other people because I don't panic. And all those people who panic. Or I think I'm better than other people because I'm quick to make sure my family has what it needs. And those people who are missing it, they're missing it. See? We fill ourselves up so quickly with pride. We think we should be able to understand why God doesn't just heal people. God, where are you? We think we understand, you know, I know what's happening. God is judging sinners. We set ourselves up in pride so quickly. It is such a knee jerk and it has no place in the people of God. And yet it is all through us. Self-righteous, judgmental. These are evidences that we take on ourselves a pride that we don't deserve. So trials are one of the invitations God gives us to the humility that brings life. Let trials bring you to humility. And I would say maybe we should start being alarmed at how regularly pride takes control of how I think and feel. When I look around at other people and I I start to think, why are you so dumb? And why would you do that? My problem really isn't them. My problem really is me, that I've let go of the humility that should be part and parcel of being a child of God. Because I was saved by grace, wasn't I? What did I do to earn that? What did, how desperately did I need it? But what did I do to earn it? It was given to me by the grace of God. So it should be at the core. Humility should be at the core. So often it isn't. So these flies come into the land and it's, the Bible says, ruin the land. It is ruined by flies. I don't know what pictures show up in your mind, but, but this is complete disruption of life. It is disruption of simple things, eating, sleeping, if you can imagine, flies completely covering food, beds. It says it was all over the floor. Things like walking, sitting, even talking, right? This was complete 
disruption of their life. And what we have is a choice of how to respond to that. When your life is completely disrupted, you become very aware that I'm not in charge, that I don't have the say, that I'm small and and these things are big. And then my choice is, how do I respond to that? So here's Pharaoh, king of Egypt, one of the most powerful nations in the world. He decides, look at his response, because his response is a challenge to us. Verse 25 down to verse 32, it says this. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Pharaoh believes he has power. In spite of what's in front of him, he believes he has power. And he says, it seems like he says yes, except he doesn't. He says, listen, Moses, you can go, you can worship God. Just do it right here. The command was, let my people go. Pharaoh says, you can do what you're saying, but I don't have to let you go to do it. Go sacrifice, but stay in Egypt. What's he doing? He's doing something that we are very familiar with. He's negotiating with God. Have you ever negotiated with God? Let's make a deal, you know? It's almost, if there was a host, it would be a smarmy host with a little thin microphone. Let's make a deal with God. God, is that good enough? Will you do what they asked you to do? If they just promise that they will give more money to the church, is that good enough, God? Right? Let's make a deal with God. Pharaoh says, God, listen, I want to give enough so that I can get relief. I want to give enough so that God will stop, but I don't want to surrender control over Israel. You can do what you need to do. You can have some days off to festival, but I don't want to lose control of you. Stay here. I don't want, I will concede as little as possible. What he really wants is control over God. He wants to negotiate with God so that God will bend to Pharaoh's will instead of Pharaoh bending to God's will. Too often we try to say a yes to God that will fool him and allow us to run our own lives. If we're brutally honest, isn't that the truth? Too often we want to say a yes to God that's just enough to fool him into thinking that he got his way. But really what we're after is, I want my way. I want to have what I want. I want to get credit for saying yes without actually saying yes. But you're never going to find life trying to make deals with God. You are never going to find life trying to negotiate with God. You only find life in surrender to him. 
Jesus says it like this, and I'm going to read this a couple times. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. That is so out there. Humanly speaking, that is so out there. If you want to save your life, work to save it. If you're not caring about your life, you might lose it. Jesus says this, our Savior says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Who are we? Are we people trying to grab hold of our lives, trying to exert a control we don't have, trying to pretend a power that we don't own, trying to maneuver a God that cannot be controlled? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So I guess here's what I'm saying. What I'm taking from this story today is this. I have a choice to respond in moments like this, in moments when there is threat and there is danger and there is uncertainty. I have a choice as a believer about how I am going to approach it. I can choose to live in fear. I certainly can. I can choose to complain. What about this and what about that? I can choose to think that I can't be okay until everything is better. That peace somehow is forfeit for me because life is crazy. And I can't have peace and I can't have hope. And I, I can choose to believe that it, all it takes is for everything to be back to normal. Then I can be okay. I can also choose to try to outmaneuver God or to make a deal with him to get, it, get him to give up what he wants so I can have what I want. I can choose that. Or I can choose to trust in the Lord with all my heart, not leaning on my understanding. I can believe that there is a peace that goes beyond understanding and a joy that is mine that comes and is produced as naturally in me as an apple tree produces an apple. And I can pursue that. But it takes a couple other different choices. It takes choosing to be good with the fact that I'm not in control. But I know who is. It takes a choice to embrace that I don't have the power to make things how I want them. But I wouldn't want to make them how I want them anyway. He knows the right way. So I will surrender to him. I need to recognize that it's foolish to try to change God, to change his work, to change his mind. Instead, I ask God to change my mind, to change my plans, to take my dreams and make them what they ought to be. And before anything changes, I can be thankful for what I've already been given. Certainly, I become more aware of how temporary and unsure everything is. So what that should do is drive me to be grateful for what I have and recognize the blessings of what I have right now. I think, believers, this is a moment for us to dig into those things. What you do with hand sanitizer and whether you go to work and how long your kids are off school, how much say do we have over all that stuff? But I have a say in something much more valuable, the state of my soul and how I respond to this, and the lessons that I take from this that maybe would be something that carries on even after life returns to something that resembles normal, right? 
This is what God is saying to Egypt and Pharaoh in these plagues. This is what God is saying to us. Let our faith be holy in him. All right, today we're going to close by looking a little bit at some opportunities for us as a church. We're calling it Sign Up Sunday. So I'm just going to take a couple minutes before I position people.